When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I should probably uh, we should probably start just by introducing this guy to our audience. Yeah, that was a good place to well, start. Well, I know it's like normally, you know, we have these folks <laughs> who work on these huge films, and everyone's like, "Oh my god!" But but uh, uh, our guys, you know, it's like unless you are a sort of diehard film guy in the uh, oh, that was unintentional and terrible. I apologize. Or a Civil War. Unless you were one of us very serious cineasts back in the '80s, you probably would not have heard of any of this guy's stuff. But uh, there were these little movies. Um, in fact, when I first moved to LA. Uh, there was one called, it was called Die Hard, and there was one called The Fugitive. Um, our guest, Jeb Stewart, wrote both of those. Uh, if you haven't heard of them, I suggest you go out and check them out. They're, they're pretty good films. You, you've seen them, right, Jeb? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Jeb, your, your name, I mean, I, I had just moved out here, I think, when, when Die Hard came out, and your name just seemed to be popping up on everything that was just kind of awesome back then. Um, and uh, uh, it's just, it's, it's, it's wonderful to, to get to meet you, finally. Uh, big, big fan of your work. Uh, Jeb also is currently uh, the creator and showrunner of Vikings Valhalla, uh, which is uh, started just now on Netflix, and you should check it out. But um, uh, how, how are you, sir? I'm, I'm excellent, guys. Thanks for having me. Oh, no, it's a pleasure. It is a pleasure. Uh, where, where are you coming to us from? I'm actually down in Florida. I'm got I'm soaking up a little bit of sun here, and then I head back to Dublin in a couple of days to uh, uh, to get back to work on on Valhalla. So uh, you 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 can't make me feel guilty for being in the sun. I I, I put in my time in in uh, in rainy Dublin. So oh yeah yeah, it can get very cold there. Although I may be the only person. I was there a couple of years ago for the uh, the Galway Film Festival, and it was. Uh, unseasonably warm, and I may be the only person who's ever come back from Galway with a sunburn. With it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm very proud of that. But um, where, where, where are you shooting over there? We shoot just south of Dublin in County Wicklow. So you know anybody who knows Ireland knows that that's um, uh, you know most most American golfers go to the West Coast or go up north and everything like that, and uh, it's kind of nice. Wicklow's considered the garden spot of uh of ireland and it really is mm. the locations are fantastic i mean it's really fantastic you can get a million looks out of it yeah no i i, I love it over there um when they're george uh, george uh, uh roger uh corman did a did a stint over there wasn't there a period well, he had a he had a he had a studio there for, right 
Um, and uh, was I, I'm sure taxes had something to do with it. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, thank they did, they did <laughs> Some things never change. That's right. <laughs> they, made a, they made a couple of years worth of, uh, of, of pictures there. Yeah, it was like- And using local talent and using, as you say, the incredible scenery. Uh, which yeah, even back in the even back in the Hammer Films days, I used to be able to tell when the Robin Hood movie was shot at Shepperton or whether it was shot at Ireland because the Ireland ones, all, all the all the all the pictures that uh, I watched when I was uh, growing up in college that looked cool, like the face of Fu Manchu and pictures like that, were all shot in in Ireland. Yeah. And um, and it's it's just a I've never been, but it, it just looks like such a fabulous. Oh, place. it's it's amazing. It is amazing. And I, I got, I'm, I'm half Irish and I, um, I never had this experience until I went to Galway and I remember getting off the airplane uh, a couple of years ago. And it was the first time I'd ever sort of put my feet on the, on, on land that I felt calling my name. I'm not joking. I got out of the airplane. And I was like, I'm, I'm home. Uh, <laughs> You're not the only Irish American to have said that too, by the way. It's yeah. so gorgeous. And it really is. That was the craziest to flag over it. It's green. It's emerald. It is really an emerald yeah, it, island. It, it's, uh... it, it is. It really, really is. So, so uh, what's, Ir what's Irish and stays out all night? Oh. <laughs> Adio furniture. Adio furniture. Yes. Hey, shitty jokes with Josh and Joe. They call it these amazing <laughs> filmmakers. We have them sit here. While we tell it's new terrible. every time I say it. It's new. <laughs> So that was bad. I, I'm supposed to ask you what. I'm not supposed to step on your joke. I apologize, Joe. <laughs> I do from my heart. I apologize. Joe's Joe's pouting now. Um, uh, well, Jeb, as as a longtime fan of your stuff, um, uh, very eager to get you on the show and kind of um, uh, kind of pop you open and see what makes you tick cinematically. Like what uh, what what kind of movies were you? Somebody who was inspired by film starting out, or were you? Uh, 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 no, um, to be real honest, I, 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 I wanted to, uh, you know, I definitely wanted to be a writer. There's no question I wanted to be a writer. Sure. Um, but I, uh, I, I probably didn't know the difference between Orson Welles and Orson Bean. I just, uh, you know, I just, it, it was, uh, I, I was going to write, you know, like a lot of guys, the next American novel. I, I was, I was a tennis pro and I, when I got out of undergrad and I, um, and I, uh, uh, I got married and I, uh, and she left a great job in New York. And after about a year, we had what would commonly be thought of as a, an intervention, which was, uh, I want to support this writing thing, but, um, I just don't think, uh, I, I think it's, it doesn't seem to be that the New York or a playboy or Esquire is kind of caught on to this yet. And, and, uh, I kind of got into that age. I was about 24, 25 and, and it was, you know, let's sort of fish and cut bait. And uh, uh, so I said, okay, it sounds like you have a plan. And she had signed me up for two days of an aptitude test. That was back in the, you know, early eighties where you're like, aptitude uh, tests. you know, what color is your parachute type of stuff? Right. And so I said, well, what will they tell me? Can they actually find out if I have any, you know, creative stuff for writing? And she said, supposedly she talked to with, she'd already set it up guys. I mean, she had already, paid the money. I'm in there for two days. And, and I said, well, uh, what if it says I don't? And uh, she said, well, either a, the marriage is over or B we're going to graduate school. And like, we're going, you're going to law school or business school or something like that. You know, yeah, yeah, I can, I can work. So I went up there and I took the first day of testing and um, which two hours with the PhD who ran the program, eight hours of testing 
you go home to your Motel 6, you come back the next day. When I came back the next day for the second day of testing, the PhD was out in the parking lot and he had this big sheaf of paper, you know, the gold computer printing paper that went. And he was waving at me like a, it was like a flag. And, and I pulled over and I locked up my little car and I said, what's going on? And he said, oh my God, you scored off the charts creatively. Hey. Uh, I mean, wow, we've never had, I mean, granted it was a little college in North Carolina. So, you know, who, you know, who knows how many people that tested want to be a, a writer. But anyway, I said to be, you know, to be a writer. And they said, no, no, to be a florist. And I, I, I got, I said, the, the specificity of that answer. How, yeah, scary. I would love to know how they get there. Yeah. So anyway, I said, I can't sell that back home. I, I, um, he said, well, you get, come on in. We got the second day of testing to do. And I cooled my heels in the, it was in the development office of this little university. And you remember in the old days, they used to have the, the, the bulletins from every university. It was sort of the room was like that. And, and I'm sitting there thinking, law school, here I come. And on the table was of Time Magazine. It's back when Time Magazine would do a summer movie right. issue. Yep. And I remember flipping it over, open it, and I found it just jumped off the page at me that there was a little sidebar at the bottom about a screenwriter who had written, had been in the business for 10 years, had never had a movie made, made about $250,000 a year. And I think this is 1981. And I'm thinking, wow. Uh, there's that's a job for me. I mean, I've got the failure part already. <laughs> wait a minute, wait. Uh, so, what was appealing? Yeah, what was appealing yeah, is that nothing got made, or was it the two hundred? Nothing, nothing <laughs> got made. But he was in that development world. Yeah, right, he supported yes. himself. Yeah, yeah. So, I hopped up and I pulled down every bulletin up there that I could think of ahead of film school. I was like a tennis pro in North Carolina. I didn't know anything about this stuff, uh, but I could remember USC, UCLA, and NYU, and Yale drama, and all of them, all of them had closed for admissions for the graduate school for the next year. And I needed a graduate school for next year. Um, so I pulled down North Carolina, Chapel Hill, where I had been an undergrad and it had a master's in radio, television, and motion pictures and one little measly screenwriting course. But I thought I could probably work with that. And then I told the first lie of many, which was uh, to the PhD that my wife's father was gravely ill and I couldn't stay for the second day of testing and I'm out the door and I was on my way back and I had five hours driving back down to South Carolina where I lived to, to craft my story a little better than that and I got there and my wife was waiting for me in the driveway and she said well and I said I scored off the charts they've never seen numbers like this creatively to be a screenwriter which in South Carolina in 1981 was like to be an astronaut you know, and so she looked at me and said, well, how do we do it? And I said, well, Chapel Hill has a master's program in screenwriting, one of my lives. And, uh, and, but the only problem is it closes for missions tomorrow. And so she said, get in the car, drove all the way back to North Carolina. And I slept on the doorstep of all my professors and I got my recs in. And next thing you know, three months later, I'm in a master's program there. And, uh, and then, Two years later, I was out at Stanford doing another master's with, with uh, Julian Blaustein, who was at Stanford. Um, uh, and that program actually was a writing program for screenwriting. And then I did a year beyond that on the Nickel Fellowship at Stanford. Um, so uh, uh, five years later, I come down to L.A. So that's the long story of how I did it. And by that, you know, in that apprenticeship of school, I kind of learned a lot about, about screenwriting. Sure. 
I mean, would it, would it be safe to say, so the short version would be that you're a tennis pro florist uh, whose career as a screenwriter is built on a mountain of lies. Would that be it? I, I'm, I'm actually a frustrated <laughs> tennis pro and florist who, who was masking in this world of screenwriting. Okay. Fantastic, man. I love it. Um, well, yeah, let's let's talk about some. Actually, beforehand, you know what hit me right before the show? One of the things I've always been fascinated about, and we'll cut this because we don't like to talk to our guests about their work, but I've always been kind of obsessed by the fact that, am I incorrect? Did Die Hard not start out as a sequel to the Frank Sinatra film, The Detective? I think that's one of those acropical stories that just have, 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 you know, it's true. Okay. It's true that it is the, that Roderick Thorpe wrote it mm-hmm. as a, um, uh, I don't know if, if, if he actually wrote it as a sequel to The Detective, but it is true that Frank Sinatra and his deal had uh, a sequel piece. So, you know, technically uh, anything that, that Roderick wrote was going to be, you know, mm. offered up or in that. Now, I don't know if it ever was offered to Sinatra at that time, um, but. It's been uh, long in the tooth. But, yeah, but yeah, 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 yeah. That's interesting because I was, there's that alternate universe where, you know, Frank Sinatra stars in both Dirty Harry and Die Hard. That is just a very strange universe, I think. Yeah, it is. I think it's a strange <laughs> But um, yeah, well, cool. Well, I'd, I'd love to dive in. Let's talk about some of the movies that have kind of lit you on fire over the years. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, you know, I'm, I'm main, I'm sort of, I was really driven by 70s movies, you know, I mean, for me, that's where, uh, and it's a pretty good era to be, you oh, yeah. know, be playing around in, you know, I, 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 I do have, I, I, I think some of my Hitchcock films that are on that list, you know, or were, uh, were, were powerful, but they came to me later. Mm-hmm. They came to me at, when I was mainly in graduate school, they re, they reissued Rear Window and Vertigo and, um, and North by Trouble Northwest. With Harry. And, really, and what was the other yeah, one? Yeah. Yeah. And I was, I was fortunately, you know, when I was at Stanford, I was really fortunate that it was a very small group of students and I had an excellent, uh, you know, head of the program, Julian Blaustein and Julian had done a Hitchcock film, uh, you know, produced it. He was a producer at Fox. And, um, and so when I came and said, you know, boy, I just read this great script North by Northwest you know, two days later, Ernie Lehman appeared. It flies up, you know, wow. and you can sit down and, and have a conversation with him. Or, you know, uh, I, I, I had the great pleasure of talking to, you know, Julie Epstein up there, mm-hmm. you know, who, you know, I, I, you know, this is Jeb. He hasn't, you know, I, I probably hadn't seen Casablanca until I got to graduate school. And suddenly I'm sitting down there, you know, with, with Julie. And it's just one of those kind of wow. great type of pieces. But North by Northwest was an interesting piece because it was, you know, after seeing Rear Window and after, you know, the, the idea that it finally occurred to me after four years in school, uh, uh, you know, my first agent, Ben Benjamin, came up and he, he said, you know, what are you writing? And I was like, well, I'm writing the great American drama. And he said, well, throw that out the window. You know, it's like, you know, the hardest thing to do is to be read. So you should be writing a thriller. And I, I wasn't a... I didn't know the difference between a thriller and a love story. So, um, you know, I went on that long hunt of watching Rear Window. And, and I, but I did have a, uh, and this is one of the reasons that, that Wait Until Dark pops up on my mm. list. I had visceral reactions to Wait, Wait Until Dark. I mean, I had probably nightmares when I saw that movie really? in the 60s. Yeah. I mean, you know, Richard Crenna 
you know, was on the real McCoys. He wasn't some bad guy that comes into your apartment, you know. Um, Unlike Alan Arkin, who was always evil. No, I'm kidding. He was just evil. He was like, are there really people out there that do that and fill dolls with, you know, with heroin and stuff? Um, And all those people would have killed Audrey Hepburn. I mean, they, they, they were, they were serious folks. So um, that idea of what you can do in a small confined space was incredible. When in North by Northwest is on the list because it's how do you tell a thriller on the road, you know? Uh, and both of those movies inform, you know, one of the, the first movie that I ever wrote, which was Switchback, which I wrote on the nickel. And um, and so it's hard. It's it's hard. It's hard. It's hard to do that. It's, you know, so is really, there is there kind of it makes sense to is there sort of a straight line from Harry was it Harry Roach Harry Roach Jr. It's somebody uh, Alan Arkin's character, and yeah. and Hans Gruber in Die Hard. I, there's a certain yeah. There's 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 a part of it. I I would say that uh, you know uh, the 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 use of people is very similar. Mm-hmm. The use of you know preying upon the weaknesses of certain people or what you think are perceived as weaknesses and then being, you know, magically surprised that those aren't weaknesses yeah. at all. Those, yeah. you, just, you just played into the strengths, which is, which is fun. Yeah. That's interesting. That is definitely one of those films. I, I love that genre, if you will, and sort of, I've loved tracking it evolve over the years because there are early films where you can see them sort of slowly coming to that notion of, of, you know, the contained thriller with like one person, you know, being terrorized by a bunch of people and there's no escape and um, obviously culminating well, I, in the masterpiece. Well, but. I mean, all, all, you know, all three of us are, are wise enough to know that I'm sure that contained thriller had a lot to do with budget too. You sure. know? Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know, that's, you know, I can make this and I can make it in a three room apartment. Can you make it in a bedroom? Yeah. Can you make it in a closet? Yeah. I could probably make it in a closet. How about a box? You know, I mean, it just kept getting smaller and smaller. I've had those kind of, conversations before so anyway fantastic yeah yeah well absolutely well let's let's uh, give us another one um uh, you know the other i'm going to just jump down because i think uh, the western played Mm. i was in the the waning days of the great western you know that's where i was in the 70s and you know starting with jeremiah johnson which is sort of a modern western um uh huge impact Uh, a lot of Though it's really hard to draw a line between, let's say, Bruce Willis and 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 Robert Redford and Jeremiah Johnson, there's that laconic American hero. Sure, is a big is a big deal, you know. Yeah. That I that and and I thought that, uh, you know, th- that movie impacted me in a huge way because it was aspirational. I bet it drove a whole legion of people my age into the Rocky mountains, um, you know, to be ski bums and climbers and, you know, and all of that kind of, it certainly drove me. I became a huge rock climber after that. Oh, really? Stay, you know, okay. Would, yeah. I would spend all my, all my money and all my, you know, summers, you know, driving out to Colorado and doing stuff like that. So it's, uh, um, it's, so that, that was big. And of course, if you're going to go there, then you, I, I, I remember reading Philip Coffin's script for the outlaw Josie Wales mm. and just being blown away by this idea of um, that sort of renegade piece. And I, um, uh, I just, I, you know, I, I love that movie. I just thought, and that, that plays into a lot of stories. I love the idea of a, of a really, you know, difficult anti-hero who's suddenly surrounded by good people. Yeah. Yeah. What does that do to him? And, and how does that work? Um, I mean, that, 
that uh, that's a theme that keeps you know popping into my work all the yeah, time. yeah i love the way he's I, it's one of my favorite movies i love how he's it's almost like he's trying to be uh the sort of iconic clint eastwood anti-hero and they just yeah. they just won't let him they keep they keep dragging him into their their cheerful family and uh, <laughs> yeah I, I love it so much and it's it's so fun watching him kind of evolve into that uh, connection with that community um yeah it's just yeah. an amazing film amazing film and and yeah and obviously i mean i think the the cowboy connections to for instance die hard are pretty pretty clear i mean they're 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 even in the dialogue yeah yeah does not seem like that's an accidental ad lib <laughs> <laughs> the um you know but they're you know just to to move on through that you know the even though when i was in school i really thought i was never going to write an action show i mean i i i, I really didn't uh, my wife was the one who said after after supporting me through almost five years it was kind of like don't write anything that needs subtitles <laughs> you know and, and and by the way uh so you know when, you, when you start off when you start off with Die Hard, you just are suddenly you're in you're in that pigeonhole, you know, for the rest of your career, no matter what you want. To, I mean, no one ever offered me a love story, but but it's uh, um, it, it's it's not it's not a bad genre to be in, especially when, you know, you, you've got all these movies that impacted you, you know, along the way, like like, the, you know, the getaway, I'm sure everybody mentions, but it's still one of those those pieces where um again 70s movie with this sort of a, a hero who comes out and finds that his wife slept with the guy who helped get him out and you're like you know well wait a minute that's not a marriage that i'm seeing on tv okay well how does how yeah. does that work that, yes. this real startling we we take so much of this for granted guys because we see it now on tv you know it's been part of our television culture now for the, probably the last 10 15 years but if you wanted that type of marital relationship you, you you were just starting to get it in film you know you really were it was uh it was a it was it was it was interesting in order to and that became a couple you know i always wanted to do a thin man with guns mm -hmm. type of story and and the you know the getaway was that so it's a great it is and, and it's funny because for a minute i thought i was like oh he's talking about the sally struthers marriage with the doctor and it's like oh yeah no that's right you're talking about <laughs> But there are there are some bad relationships in that film. Yeah, there's some. That's exactly right. <laughs> some unhealthy stuff. But I I love their connection. Yeah, and um, I mean, can can we use that to segue? Because I know you you had a couple of other films on there, and he's um, you know, a guy whose whose work definitely propelled me into this business. Um, and that was a great script by Walter Hill, yeah. uh, who went on to make a few yeah. movies that I think we all we all love. Um, you're obviously a fan. I, I'm a big fan. I worked with Walter on another 48 hours. That's right. And, yeah. um, and you know, it was, it was one of those kind of things where, um, I wasn't in awe of Walter. I just, cause you know, I, 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 but I learned so much. I mean, I have to tell you, I learned so much from him, little, little things that he had sort of learned along the way. Um, uh, you know, he used to, he used to, he, he this was when the fax machine was just becoming Vogue. You know, it was like, you could you used to be able to go over and you know meet with a, a director and say you know what um what do you want to work on how you want to do this and stuff like that and he would say fax me those pages tonight and i'm like well i lived in pasadena and we're meeting at the caraco building it's going to take me an hour and a half to get home 
I'm going to have dinner. I've got two little kids and everything. He said, yeah, well, you know, Jeff, 24 hours and every day, you know, it's the good thing about being in California, you know, and I'm like, you know, fuck you, you know. So, uh, but I, I, I did, you know, the fax machine always hummed for Walter, but Walter would teach, would say things like, you know, I'd get a, I'd get a, a call from him like at 10 o'clock at night and he'd say, I'm thinking, write me some fulminator scenes. Now, I mean, I don't know if Josh, if that means anything to you or Joe, but fulminator scenes, it was kind of like, I, 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 I've been in graduate school for five years. I have no earthly clue what that is. No okay. Culminator scene is like guys sitting there on the sofa, loading bullets into the gun. Okay. okay. And it's a director. It's, it's for, meant for a director. I use it all the time. I, I say to my writers all the time, you know, you know, give me some Viking fulminators. Mm-hmm. You know, what does that look like? Sharpening your knife? Yeah, no, sharpening your knife. And, yeah, it's yeah. just like that. Like you know? Schwarzenegger putting on the paint in Commando. Yeah, that. that's exactly right. You know, give me those kind of things that I can cut to when I'm in the editing room. Yeah. So um, anyway, uh, well, no, Walter was terrific. And, and the, the Walter that I got, you know, post-Long Riders and the Warriors mm-hmm. and stuff like that, uh, it was also a guy who had spent enough time in the editing room, you know, where he kind of came to directing a different by a different path. And sometimes writers who come into directing learn the hard way that, you know, you got to have stuff in there. You need fulminator scenes. You need right. other parts. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, so that, that, that was, that was good. But I, I was a huge fan of long riders. Oh God. Yeah. Huge. Yes. I mean, you know, um, uh, it's the only Western I can think of where somebody, you know, and I felt um, uh, kind of confirmed with through him that, that, you know, he was looking at what Sam Peckinpah did in the wild bunch in those action scenes and going like, how can I top this? And the yeah. stuff he did with sound in that movie, bullets whizzing by is so amazing. It's so it, incredible. It's yeah. And who shot that? Would you get, was it Rick Wade or was it like, um, the long run. Gordon Willis. Was Joe. Like, Joe always I'm, knows these things. No, he doesn't always know. I should always I, know I, these. And I, and I certainly can't grab it out of my head as fast as you can grab it off your computer. I know. I'm, I'm pretending to think about it. Um, it's, uh, <laughs> you know, I think, when, yeah, when, no, it's Rick Waite. It's Rick Waite. When we do these things, we can see each other. And so <laughs> Josh, when he, he, he tries to look like he's not on his computer, even just us. You know, yeah. nobody can see what he's doing, but we can see him. He doesn't want us. To. Walter Hill, yeah, well, I've heard of that guy. Right. He directed Johnny Handsome and Red Heat. Yeah, no, it's. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, you guys are better at that than me. I'll just. We, we, we protect right. it. But, uh, but it had that look. You know, it had a, you know, in, 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 you know, one of the things that I, I love about some of those shots too is the, the guys always had their guns up as they arrived. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it's a little thing, but, you, I, you know, I can remember that now, you know, 40 years later of, of thinking, uh, I mean, you know, I, I've ridden horses for a long time and, and I'm, 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 I'm typically not got one hand up in the air, much less holding a, <laughs> Wait, hand, holding you a know, gun. A yeah. gun. And, and yet there's this beautiful, instead of guys riding next to, you know, this is a great train scene. And I, I, I studied that train scene a lot for switchback, which we had to shoot on trains. Mm, right. And, you know, and it's, it's absolutely beautiful the way, you know, those horses cross over the tracks and the men, you know, are, you know, to see, you know, if, you, if you've shot enough on horses, you know, men on horseback and stuff like that, you know, today you got, you know, you got all these insurance rules, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to put Josh and Joe, my two stars on horses at a gallop. 
It's just not going to happen. Okay. Where, you know, the insurance people say, no way. So, uh, you know, you can't get some of those great scenes. You can fake those scenes. Right. You can put them on all sorts of trick stuff, but um, there's no trick stuff in Walter's show. You, you know, you're on that horse and here's your gun and it weighs a ton and you're going to wave it around like a, like a teenager when you're not. So um, I, it's just a really good and great lines of dialogue. Oh, yeah. I thought David Carradine's lines, you know, just that classic stuff like yeah. that. So. I mean, I, I just uh, distract for a minute. It was just one of the highlights of, of, of my career was uh, years ago meeting with a big producer. It was one of those general meetings and, you know, you sort of talk about all the stuff you talk about and they're going to find something for you or whatever. And I remember walking out the door and I, uh, somehow came up and I said, you know, if, if I lived in the dream universe, I would like to live in, I would spend the rest of my life writing one film noir and one Western for the rest of my life. <laughs> he said, Oh, you like Westerns? I said, yeah. He said, are you familiar with Walter Hill? And I went, Brr. and I ended up, Walter had a script uh, about uh, Dodge city that they wanted to turn into a TV show. And they were like, yeah, it's, we got this great script and it'd be like you sitting around. Would you mind working with Walter on it? I was like, are you, I sat here for an hour talking about bullshit and you, you had Walter Hill in your pocket. It was uh, right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we had a fantastic time working on it. It, it. it never took off, unfortunately, but it was just, um, yeah, it was just a dream working with the stories. Oh yeah. And uh, I now have a pile of magazines. I think old West magazine is what it's called. Uh, all of which have like the Walter Hill uh, subscription label on them. I'm sure. I'll... <laughs> it's uh uh, yeah, but yeah, what, he, what a dream, man. And what an amazing he, what a dream. Right. I mean, what a dream. And I um, but I, you know, I think that the the other thing was how you you can work with an ensemble like that. Yeah. You know, that that I, I don't like I, I don't like that, but uh, but today, you know, with especially with Valhalla, which has got unlike the original, unless like Michael Hurst's Vikings, which my show is a you know, is a trunk line off of, um which really revolved around, you know, one Viking like that. Mm -hmm. The, you know, uh, uh, Valhalla is a, is, is an ensemble of, it has three strong leads and then it has a, you know, a, a very good group of secondary actors who, who, you know, do more than carry the water. So, you know, you know, you watch a movie like that and you can really appreciate yeah. the mastery that he had of keeping all those brothers really happy. Yeah. Uh, and it was their show. And they didn't realize until after the fact that it was actually Walter's show. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he does that a lot. I mean, Southern Comfort does that. Obviously, the Warriors to a degree. It's um Yeah, Warriors do that, yeah. everything like that. And he, and and I think you mentioned the sound, but also the music. I think that was a Ry Cooter, yeah, you know, for sure. Ry um, soundtrack. Yep. Yeah. And boy, that that was just, you know, coming from the South, it just spoke to me. It just made it, you know, it was it was sort of how the chieftains did in uh, the Gray Fox. Remember the yeah. great the, yeah. that that Canadian picture was great. Yes, which I actually just rewatched recently. I think there's a nice new Blu-ray of it, and um, it's a fantastic film, fantastic movie. It is. It's just it's it's beautiful. It's yeah. lyrical. It's you know, and and Richard Farnsworth was uh, was at the peak of his you know career at that point. I worked with his son, who was a great stuntman uh, in The Fugitive. Oh really? Oh wow. Um, yeah, I mean, Makes I, sense. I, I, stay I in the business. Yeah, I, I remember taking him out onto the all the the, the two stunt guys and and uh, Andy Davis was directing that, and we didn't have an end to the movie. And I took them all up to the top of the of the Hilton Hotel in Chicago, which is right there on Lake Michigan, and it winds blowing a million miles an hour. And I said, "So there's a fight, and you know, and and in in you know, Kimball gets knocked down the stairs, bumping up. So Harrison, you know, 
So the two stuntmen are looking there. I bet, guys, it, the windshield was probably 50 below. And, and they're just in these coats dressed up as the two characters. And so, um, you know, Peter McGregor Scott, who was, you know, line producer, and all that, said, okay, let's do one. And, you know, Farnsworth took the punch, went down the stairs, boom, 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 boom. And those, those, those grippy metal stairs <laughs> right. that, you know, you, it, you hurt even when you got soles on your shoes like this. And he, he landed at the bottom and I thought, the guy's dead. <laughs> and he, he hopped up and da, 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 ran back to the top. How was that? And, you know, it was kind of like, ah, it was sort of okay. So, you know, great film family there. That's, you know? yeah, that's amazing. Uh, yeah, stuntmen are terrified when they do that stuff. That's just, uh... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Joe, what's the worst? I mean, surely you've had like a stunt guy try to show you something that just turned your hair white. Or... Well, you know, when we were, when we were working for uh, Roger Corman, we, we, we had to do stunts on a budget. And, uh, and there were a lot of stunt guys who were pretty macho and out to impress each other. And uh, That's the, uh, I, yes, saw some, always. I saw some yeah, very, always. very hairy things that it's a miracle that people weren't killed. You know, cars going up on ramps and then hitting a phone pole and then the phone pole shaking and then the wires looking like they're going to come down, all of which is not part of the story. <laughs> uh, it was, uh, it, it's, I've, I've seen some pretty hairy uh, stuff with stunt guys and, and they're, and they're, they're, they're great guys in the grip truck. They're great guys when they're offering you Coke. Uh, and, but, um, you know, it, it's, a, it, it's, a, it's a fraternity that um, I never really quite understood. Yeah, it's, yeah, it, it, it's, um, it's as close, I think, to sort of like a combat mentality as you can genuinely get in this business because they're, they're the only ones really facing death. I mean, they're, Jesus. Um, but, you know, it's a good thing they don't have a category in the Academy Awards because that would be oh, ridiculous. Think of the competition for that. Award. No, I'm well, kidding. There, I there, think there are less scene. categories than ever now in the Academy Awards because, you know, we don't even broadcast half of that stuff That's right. because things like editing and music, I mean, they have nothing to do with stars. Yeah. It's all about stars now. It's all about the red carpet. It's all Am about, I insane? You know, Can you imagine, like, I mean, aside from the fact that stunt people are, you know, <sighs> I mean, they direct, they create a direct scene. Some of your favorite scenes in, in, in great movies were concocted and created and directed even by stunt people. And I'll need them directed a lot of movies. And, and yeah. yeah, and a lot yeah, yeah, of yeah. second unit and all the rest of it. But it's like, aside from the fact that it's absurd that they don't have a division in the Academy, it just seems to me that if like the show might be a little bit, if you're looking for some pizzazz in your Oscar show, um, you know, now we stop the show and throw some people out some windows is a lot more exciting than that would be really cool. I think the guy from people I'd like to throw out a window. Yeah, it's like, huh, the guy from Price Waterhouse Cooper explaining the rules, or you know, Buddy Joe Hooker leaping out of a window on fire. Insane. While we're all pondering how much more amazing the Oscars would be if they had a stunt section. Uh, we'd like to take a moment and thank our sponsors. Uh, many of the movies we talk about on the show are available at MoviesUnlimited.com. In fact, most of them, if not all of them. Uh, they've been the expert on movies since 1978. You're going to find thousands of titles to choose from. Classics, hard to find ones, new releases too. And I bet they have those obscure Jeb Stewart movies uh, like Die Hard or The Fugitive. Seriously, check those films out. I, I, I guarantee you'll enjoy them. So support our sponsor and be good to yourself. If you go to our website, the Trailers from Hell website, you can click on the Movies Unlimited banner there, or you can go to MoviesUnlimited.com directly. You can actually click on our banner there, um, and they'll take you to a list of all the movies we've discussed on every episode. 
So go to MoviesUnlimited.com where shipping is always free on orders over 50 bucks. They're the best. They're the movie experts. We love them. And now let's get back to Jim Stewart. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. So uh, I, you know, I, my list jumps all around, but one of the ones that I always love is the sand pebbles. That's the you know, I, 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 I love it for a couple of reasons. Like, again, it was one of those ones like right until dark when I remember watching that and thinking, uh, I don't have a, I don't have a good feeling watching this movie. You know, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's actually a really, it was a brilliant script and it was a really great movie. I, you know, it was Robert Wise doing something where, you know, he didn't have Julie Andrews or, you know, guys snapping their fingers, you know, dancing the West Side Story. It was, well, he was it, actually getting back to his roots because he used to started with those kind of pictures. Yes, that's exactly and, right. You know, yeah. Destination and I, and, Gobi and all those movies. Yeah. All very, of those. very versatile director. And a fabulous editor, you know, just an Incredible guy. You just started as an editor. You, you gotta a, a, appreciate that. He he had done one of Julian's movies as well. And I can't remember which one. Day of the Earth stood still. Day of the Earth stood still. That's exactly right. And uh, and just was you know it, it was a fascinating guy. But he he, I, I loved it for McQueen's performance. Mm. You know, I mean, it just it just to play a guy who's not like he 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 wasn't playing. You know, the guy from great escape he was playing a just a seaman who's kind of caught in this kind of mess and and it's a complicated mess which we, you know we feel all the time today and you know on our politics and stuff and 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 it's like not easily explained or whatever uh who actually has a terrific heroic term i mean and you know that, that was that was really interesting and i um i tend to rob from movies when i'm, I'm you know my 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 young cast on Valhalla is constantly saying, where did you get this idea? You know, it's like, oh, that came from here or that came from sure, here, you know, yeah. and, 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 and you can see that, but, but it's a really wonderful way to pay homage to these, these movies that, you know, no one's ever heard of in many ways. And yet they're great. I mean, Sand, Sand Pebbles, Joe, it was nominated for best picture. I think yeah. it was, you know, it was, it was, we had a lot of nominations. Great, great kind of pick. Yeah, it's Lost. it's not talked about to the degree that a lot of the other films you brought up are. It sort of has, I wouldn't say vanished, but it's kind of. Well, you must have had to. It must have had to take a look at the Vikings then to see. Uh, to, to... I, yeah, you know what? I didn't. Um, I, you know, I didn't. You know what I mean the bold Burt Lancaster thing? Yeah. That, um, yeah. No, I. I it wasn't. I, it was. Uh, it was Kirk Douglas. But yeah, yeah, and I never, I never watched The Fugitive either before I wrote that, which is kind of weird. Um, I just <laughs> didn't want to be. I knew I knew whatever it was going to be, and just like Valhalla, it had to be its own kind of thing. So, um, no, I, funny, funny. I didn't. Well, you should check out the Vikings. It's really good. Was it good? Okay. Yes, uh, yes. I, I I haven't seen your show yet, but I, I have seen some of the Vikings, and um, you you couldn't get more disparate. But it it would be a fun compare and contrast for sure, because uh, oh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's a little less bloody and. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's exactly. It, it was as bloody as they would let you be. 
like fewer fewer on camera decapitations, I would say. But. <laughs> oh man. Um, you know, I um, uh, all of these are are are. It would just been a wonderful kind of like walk for me back. Uh, I think about these movies, but I don't. I you know, I, a lot of times I'll think about a movie. Uh, and there's a scene in a movie and, and it, Josh is like, it's like, you know, history of violence, the opening, I mean, you know, the, 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 the counter scene, mm -hmm. you know, I think about, um, the Clint Eastwood, I guess it was dirty Harry too, where he yes. goes in to get a cup of coffee, oh, no, dirty Harry. you know? Oh, yeah. The one where, and, and she yeah. pours all oh, the that, sugar yes, into that the sudden coffee. Impact, sudden impact, right. Sudden impact. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And, uh, and then, um, and, and I've told that story a million times and then I'll go back and watch the film and I realize I've rewritten that scene sure. to make it better. I don't know if you guys have ever done this when you're retelling a story and somebody says, go watch that scene. And then they come back and they say, it's not like you pitched it. You pitched, you made it better, you know? <laughs> yeah. But I think that's, that's one of the great things about, about this is, is, um, you know, I guess you can sometimes get too close to where you are sort of without even thinking, lifting something intentionally, but to me, it's fun to go back and see something or read something that I've done and, and realize that I didn't at the time that, you know, I was just, you know, trying to trying to do my version of that scene or what have you. Or, um, yeah, well, they, I think those two things are completely different. First of all, you know, that your scene has all those characters. Right. You know, in it that, that are, are, are real, active, important characters. As oh, yeah. No, that's those. that's not a rewrite. That's definitely not the sudden impact scene. But yeah, but there's others where. Or have you ever done this? I did. Um, uh, it's kind of the first script that sort of got me studio attention way back when. Um, but there was a movie, uh, I think Statue of Limitations is up. I can bag on it. There's a movie called Red Sun with Charles Bronson and Tashira Mafoon that I saw when I was like eight and could not believe it was the yeah. greatest thing ever. And then I saw it as an adult and it's almost unwatchable and it's awful. Yeah. <laughs> and I was really depressed for about a day. And then I thought, oh, you know what? I'll write the movie that's been playing in my head for the last 25 years. <laughs> Yeah, and and uh, it it went well for me with that, but um, yeah, that kind of thing where you see something. I mean, you can see a great scene and go, "I want to do something like that," but you can also see a scene that fails, that like sets you up for something better, and in your head you're going, "Oh, I know where this is going," and then it doesn't. And to me, that's an even greater gift because then you can just take it outright. And no one knows you, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Because the scene you stole it from didn't work at all. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, if you if you if you live long enough, you'll actually see some of your scenes on TV, you know, uh, being copied and improved on. You know, uh, and I'm like, wait, I, I did that, but it's better when I'm I'm seeing it better. Yeah. Well, now they've got now they've got drones, so you know, everything is, everything is shot from above now, so it all looks better. Oh yeah, that's right. That's true. Yeah, you could do. You know, the thing is that 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 uh, that waterfall scene with Tommy Lee Jones and Harrison Ford would probably look exactly the same if you shot it with drones. I mean, there's not much you could do to. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's an amazing, amazing sequence. Yeah, no, it was bad enough as it was. I mean, you know, I'm I remember when we we were shooting that. You know, oh, I hear. because I had to write to the set on the fugitive. We didn't have I, the. You know, we I was just sort of staying ahead of production. Fun. And uh, and I had to go out to the old Westinghouse uh, warehouse where we shot that. And uh, it's only, of course, he, Harrison only had to jump about three feet down to a, a pad. And uh, and so he said, just he looked at me and said, just promise me 
that this dam is like the one in North Carolina, which was not very, you know, from the hole we were thinking, it was only going to be like 40 feet, you know, into a big pool of water. And then, of course, when we when they shot it, they dropped the dummy <laughs> articulating dummy from a helicopter. Right. And I can remember in the screening having him turn around and look at me like, that's not 40 feet. <laughs> and yet we're willing to go along with that suspension of disbelief. Nobody, nobody, uh, nobody said anything. It was Harrison Ford. Yeah, exactly. Okay. He can do that. He can out jump a crashing train. I don't see what you're. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And nobody says anything about that. Yeah. Nobody says anything about that. Um, I'm. You know, I'm jumping over. Uh, I want to kind of, I want to circle back to, yeah. um, uh, to you know, to Walter Hill again, just on the Warriors. Just, uh, I, I, I watched the Warriors, you know, not too long ago. That was one of those movies I was really afraid to watch again, guys, because I thought, like you said, it was going to be one of those ones where I thought it was the best movie of my life. And when I see it again, it just doesn't hold up. And that movie, interestingly enough, even though it's hyped and those the gangs all don't really look like New York gangs. I don't Not know if you <laughs> in, in the Bronx. Well, there was that terrible um, uh, uh, batch of roller skeeter gang crimes in the seventies. That uh, <laughs> no, no, uh, yeah, and the and, and the baseball, baseball bat craze kind of must have gone out too. But um, uh, but it had you know Walter. I, I think it had a lot of clockwork orange in his head oh yeah sure going into that piece yep. you know and and because clockwork came up a lot in our conversations and i was making a buddy comedy action <laughs> show with eddie murphy so if if it, if it was trying to creep into 48 hours it had to have crept into the war that makes perfect sense i don't think i've ever thought about that but it's the instant you say that you're like of course that's what it's mine my god yeah yeah they had the makeup on and the whole thing it was, it was really kind of this this Dystopian New York, not that it needed to be any more than it was at yeah. that particular time. But, um, but it is amazing because if you think about that movie or you just look at a shot of it or something, or you know, pops up on Google or whatever, it 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 can it can cause you to question your your sense of that movie. And then you go back to it and it's like, no, man, that thing is just yeah. Yeah. And it's amazing yeah. that he pulls it off, too, because you're right, because some of it should be more absurd than it is. And it just it's just terrifying. It's, it, you know, again, um, we, we all have a one foot in the, the high concept days, but that was high concept oh, before yeah. it really got to Disney. You know, yeah. it was like, wow, you know, the, a, a, a gang from Coney Island stuck all the way, you know, uh, 27 miles across town. And how are they going to get home? You know, and everybody's after them and all these cops are after them. And, you know, it's like, you know, OK, I want to see that movie. Yep. OK, I don't need to know anything more than that. Yeah. Yeah, it is in its own way. It's contained. It's um, yeah, kind of that's exactly yeah, right. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, no, it's an amazing film, and uh, I think there's a there's a new Blu-ray coming out that's got both of his cuts. So uh, that's exciting. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. Well, that'll be worth watching. Yes, that'll really be that'll be worth watching. Yeah, that's such that's a great film. Can't we've talked about it before, Joe? I'm sure, right? You saw it. In, we certainly yes. have. <laughs> it's, it's a staple. It is. It is. <laughs> Uh, I remember, I remember yeah. seeing it being a little anxious because at the time there were going to be, you know, there's supposed to be all these gang wars were going to break out at the theater. And I was in Philadelphia where that kind of thing could actually happen. And yeah, I was going to say, but, yeah. Uh, happily did not. <laughs> but still, it impacted the box office. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they were, there were yeah. places that wouldn't play it. Interesting. Yeah. Really yeah. It's true. And yet uh, we're still talking about it today. So it overcame that. Well, I mean, it, uh, 
I have to tell you, you know, my writing is all character-based action. So all these films jump out of that character-based world, which really kind of jumped out of suspense. Yeah. You know, um, you know, they don't make suspense. I mean, I don't think they'd make the fugitive today. I mean, it just wouldn't pencil out. You just spend too much on a star. It just, you know, um, uh, it's just those and, long stretches of time where characters are talking to each other about shit. You know, who, yeah, who wants to watch that? Right. <laughs> that's exactly right. I mean, I can up. get that. And besides, none of them have capes. Yeah, they have to have capes. No. And that's exactly right. Or blue. They're not blue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so I think that that's a, that's a thing. But I do think that, that character-based action now has mercifully found a home, you know, in streaming and places like that, sure. because you can develop those characters over a longer period of time. So, um, so that's, and, and audience, you know, look, Valhalla is very different from some show like Reacher, but they, 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 they both have, you know, it just shows that there is an audience for, um, you know, that type of, that type of physical action. I mean, uh, you don't have to be Keanu Reeves to be in that world. Yeah. There are a lot of people who can do that. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, have you watched Reacher? I have, I, 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 I haven't, I, I've only watched one episode of it, but I, I, I felt compelled. I, you know, like the books. Yeah, no, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's, uh, have you seen it, Joe? No, but I've been uh, hearing stories about how much better this guy is as Reacher than Tom Cruise. And Cruise, yeah. I could, I could not comment on that. How better? How much better cast he is. <laughs> as the first writer on Jack Reacher, I cannot comment. Um, but I, I just, I love the TV show. I love, love, love. The guy is amazing, too. And, it's, um, and he's American, right? I think so. Just like, are American. Well, for, for the longest time, it's so hard to find like American guys, you know, who had that kind of physicality. Um, yeah. They're always having to go to Australia for them, but <laughs> it was great. Well, let's lay out some of the, let's talk about some of those others, like the character driven suspense films you liked. I know that um, like Three Days in a Condor is you're a fan of. Yeah, I'm sure you guys get that a lot, but Three Days was a real big thing for me. Sure. I mean, you know, Max von Sydow was, was like a, a kind of, villain good guy that you know to, to take a character in that direction was really an interesting piece you really were you really wanted the you know you really wanted to um to, to really fear him i mean he was clearly a killer but but at the same time he the bad guys were somewhere else in a building you right. know that had ordered this and 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 you see a lot of condor and fugitive because there are investigative engines that work in the story. There's an invest, there, you know, there are two investigative engines. You know, there's one right. um, uh, who was a Glenn Ford's, you know, guy, you know, up there in, 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 in New York or wherever it was. And you've got, um, and you've got, um, you've got Redford having to figure out what the hell's going on. And, um, and, and I, for years, I, you know, a little, there were many writers who came to before me on the fugitive, uh, in fact, uh, Larry Gross and Walter Hill, you know, were, were, were on the, you know, and everybody wanted to make Gerard because Warner Brothers was fixated on Gerard being the bad guy, mm. the Tommy Lee Jones character being the bad guy and, and, and Harrison being the good guy. And he's just on the run. Right. And, you know, and I used to go in and I'd sit there because they offered it to me three times. And I said, you have to have these these different investigative engines going. And otherwise, it's just he's just running. And they're like, what's wrong with running? And I'm like, you know, it's, it's well, we're not making a TV show. And it, I said, oh, he needs to solve the case and he needs to bring Tommy Lee Jones's character into his orbit. And I was just describing all this, you know, sort of 
dramatic form that I had learned in graduate school to them. And they're kind of like going, no, nah, nah, it sounds like you're trying to make one movie. Don't you know who you're talking to? You're talking about Warner Brothers here. And we're talking to, you know, and I'm like, yeah, I think it is one movie. And it wasn't until Harrison got involved and he basically said, I need to be doing something other than running. And I'm only going to make one of these things. Period. Oh, wow. And they said, hey, we, hey, got, we the got the guy. Dude. That must have disappointed them. <laughs> oh, right. wow. That's fantastic. That's a, that's a perversion of the entire premise of the TV series. With, with, is it, is, that's exactly right, Joe. I mean, Lieutenant Gerard is not the bad guy. He's, just, he's doing his job. He's the bad guy in that we know that he's chasing a guy who's innocent. Right. But that's he right. doesn't know that. And the reason the series was so popular and had such a huge last episode was because people were so uh, pleased and happy to see Lieutenant Gerard realize that he'd been wrong and he had the wrong guy and that he, and he apologized and everything. And everybody went, this is well, great. Yeah, we always knew he was kind of a good guy. Yeah, it only took seven years, but God, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that is still, I don't mean to, but that's still one of the greatest moments in a, in a, in a film, I think, when uh, they're standing at the waterfall Harrison's for it's like, I'm, I'm innocent. I mean, Jones goes, I don't care. I know. I, mean, it's just, it's... I, I, you know, that was one of my great writing moments, guys. Uh, I was called from the Four Seasons to come out because Tommy would not read the line in the script. And Harrison was being what a great actor should do, which is he was going to stand there to give Tommy somebody to read. Yeah. To. And we were in this icy cold, you know, it wasn't even a soundstage. It was an old warehouse and water is running and there are 120 people and Tommy being Tommy would not read the line, wouldn't the line that, that line so i threw lines well, at him for about what was 20 the line? minutes or so. what was the line i don't care oh, what is that line? oh okay. no, he didn't want to do that line no and finally i took him on this long circuitous journey of, of throwing lines and finally came back around i said why don't we try this one i don't care and he goes it, it, it sounds familiar i don't know <laughs> and he said harrison's threw out his line he said i don't care that you're innocent you know and and he and you andy davis went cut Brent, let's go move on, you know, and everybody's like, wait, 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 that didn't work. And we were all laughing. That's amazing. Yeah, so. That is amazing. Yeah, that's such an incredible moment. And it goes so much to the character of both of them, you know, and it's, it's, uh, um, well, he did, he, you know, and, and technically he's not an FBI agent. He's not a cop. He really, truly didn't care. Yeah. The guy's already been not, convicted. Not my job, man. Yeah. Not my yeah, job. My job's just to bring you in, yeah. man, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, well, Jeb, it's really great. I mean, we've been, um, uh, very, very excited to to get to talk to you and uh, about and meet, you. and meet you and talk to you about stuff you love and stuff you've done too. That was a great, great story. Um, we, uh, yeah, we've been thrilled to be talking to um, tennis pro, florist, uh, <laughs> liar, <laughs> yeah. screenwriter, showrunner, <laughs> uh, the very great Jeb Stewart. Uh, no, thank you, sir. And uh, we are looking forward to um, Vikings Valhalla, which uh, just hit on Netflix, and you can see now. Um, just the first season, right? The second season is just done, season. but absolutely. we have to wait for that. Yeah, absolutely. excellent. All right. Great. Well, thank you, sir. Thanks, guys. Yes. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Joe, Josh, nice to see you. Thank you. Our show was recorded from several well-stocked bunkers. We can't wait to get back to beautiful downtown Burbank. We're the official podcast of TrailersFromHell.com, the best damn movie website there is. Our engineer is the composer Don Barrett, who also transmogrified, produced, and created our theme song. This is Josh Olson for the Movies That Made. Stay safe out there, folks.
As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts.